Welcome to Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at LGBTQ media of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul, my guest is Soterios, and we're discussing the 1998 film Edge of Seventeen. There will be spoilers. Todd Stevens co-wrote this semi-autobiographical tale about a teenager, Eric, growing up in Sandusky, Ohio in the 1980s. As Eric Hunter comes to terms with his sexuality, he'll struggle to balance the needs of his would-be girlfriend, Maggie, with those of his new queer friends. Soterios, when did you first see this film? Uh, It was in college. I would say between 99 and 2002, maybe. And what was it like watching it again? Much more delightful. I think that for me, watching the movie the first time, I think I was just trying to see queer characters anywhere. And I was trying to get any kind of thrill that I could get from watching two men be being intimate or sexual with each other. And I wasn't really paying too much attention to the storyline. It's a little more sobering than I had remembered it, but I, I look back on it much more fondly and which what much more empathy than, than I did when I first saw it. For example, there was a, as Eric begins to experiment more with, with how he presents himself, there's a part of it that was just kind of like, you're, don't do that, you know? But there was something that was very much, I realized that that was very much of my internalized homophobia at that time that was not wanting him to, to stray from this heteronormative appearance, which I, which I found very attractive at the time, but I also felt very safe at that time. That why would you go ahead and put yourself into more danger? And now, like, you, with years in perspective and realizing myself and 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 so many of my peers and especially being an artist like that that self-expression is very important and something that for for myself at that age had been encouraged to keep stifled so I remember I just saw I had when I saw it again I had a lot more empathy you know for that character but also the performances and how we've evolved since then there's a lot of the movie that still holds up on an emotional level but I also feel too, there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had about consent and, and uh, mostly, mostly that I, I felt that that was a, that was a big thing. But I remember when he goes into the gay bar for the first time, I and I didn't clock it when I first saw it, but when I saw it this time, I was like, oh yes, that is a small town gay bar. I know these characters. I've met with them. I've sang karaoke with them. And it was a really lovely, uh, reminiscent, and I think a very empathetic film. I feel that the performances are much stronger than I remember them. There's some characters I like more than others, but I, but it's actually a well put together film. How about you? Well, when I first saw it, I thought Eric was kind of a dull protagonist. Mm-hmm. And on a rewatch, I see how he's trying to build himself a personality. He's finding the music that he likes. He's trying different Mm -hmm. hair colors and hats and dressing like his favorite pop stars and sort of trying to make himself into an interesting person. And the moment where we really see that it's worked for better and worse is when he goes to the party full of straight kids and starts dancing Mm-hmm. and suddenly realizes they're all staring at him because yeah. his his queerness his uh his difference his otherness is just right on display and suddenly he doesn't like it and he's got to get out of there i couldn't remember that scene when i first saw it and when i watched it again i was genuinely 
broke my heart. <laughs> well, one of the things that critics praised this movie for was its realism. I kept seeing terms like it's it's honest, it's it's realistic. Scott McDonald from the AV Club called this the most convincing gay teen romance ever put to film. And I realized at the time we had two films we've talked about, Beautiful Thing and Get Real, which were both variations on The Nerd Falls in Love with the Jock. And here Mm. we get a very different sort of love interest in Rod, the college boy, because he is out and confident, but he is also a player. And as as the film progresses, increasingly predatory. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's a very different sort of relationship for this this boy to have with sort of stumbling into the clutches of the big bad wolf. How does how does it read? Gosh, Rod is the love interest. It's so weird because the. The movie prepositions itself to be as being this coming out, coming of age love story. And there is a very, very brief romance, but it almost takes the, the, the tropes of a romantic comedy kind of just, there's a moment where that other shoe drops and you realize, oh, Rod is, and that was the whole thing is like Rod, Rod was like the prize to be had. He was this very preppy guy. And the way he dressed, he all he could have either been cruising for men or hitting golf balls at the golf course. Like the costumes, the pastels, just the overall preppiness was very desirable at that time. And I thought that was very smart of whoever designed those clothes and, and, and of the character work and whatever, that that was what was desired by both men and women. Like if you're into men, that was like, the ideal of what you would go after. And, you know, there are times where I find myself still like remembering how silly that was that we just wanted to go after these preppy guys. So I appreciate that it turns on his head. It's, it's weird that it's predatory wasn't the word I would use, but I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think it's just really more of like a culture shock that I think that at that time in, in, in his adolescence, and, and I identify with this, and I, and I want to believe you do too, we, we, we're always trying to heteronormalize um, relationships, that, you know, things like monogamy was something that we always wanted, and that he was just kind of hoping that Rod would sweep him off his feet and happily ever after. I remember someone when I was coming out who I had very a similar response with, and who also very similarly just wanted to sleep with everyone. And, and I feel that's a, that's a cultural thing that happens. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. There's, there's very large issues of consent, especially with someone who is a minor in this. And maybe the conversation wasn't being had at with such a large tone as it is right now. And it makes more sense that he'd be traumatized with the situation because then he goes and tries to go back into the closet after that moment with, um, who's the girlfriend's name? Maggie. Maggie, Yes who I thought turned in a really lovely performance. I didn't remember much of her when I first saw it, but I was watching it again. She's a very, very good actor. Just very, very honest, very detailed. But in terms of, I think the original initial question that you asked was, um, is it real? And I, I do, I think it is real. I think it is honest. And it ends on a somewhat pessimistic note that was a reality for people at that time. And I think by labeling something as real and honest, it, it almost gives this, suggestion that every coming out experience is like this. And during the mid 80s, I'm sure many coming out experiences were like that, where the parents were were kind of rejected. And they leave it really open ended. They don't really show a scene where the mother says, 
we'll work on this and I'm not okay with it now, but I'll be okay with it later. Like there wasn't, there wasn't really an optim, there wasn't optimism in terms of the sense that he found his tribe and he found a chosen family. And, and of course, like it's better that he is himself than, than not, but I don't know. There was something, there's something about that as someone who knows a lot of queer people who don't have relationships with their families um, since they came out, you know, there's something that is honest about it, but I wanted there to be a little bit more of an optimistic ending, at least with a family, because they all seemed very, almost like a little saccharine. It, it was the, the the relationship he had with his family, I felt to be a little, they were almost going too much with the leave it to beaver and the parents were just so cool and hip and respected his boundaries and, and whatnot. There was this moment where it's like, you're the mom, <laughs> the, the, the mom goes back to work at a diner in order to help pay for NYU. And I'm like, you're that's not going to pay for NYU. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like there's something that I found to be a little, like almost like it was like they were trying to guilt the character in some way that, that they're, tr- they're, they're offering to pay for his schooling in New York, as opposed to him going to Ohio state. And the mom goes and gets a second job. And I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like that. The storytelling device of like forcing this guilt upon this character for just being himself. I always have a hard time with like, with these very, very saccharine leave it to be very parents. And I felt that way about, about both the parents that they were just very like, we're going to go to a movie. You want to come? I don't know what that's like. I've never been to a movie with my parents. (laughs) The advertising for the film focused on the two men. There's these very, cute posters of them both in pastel leaning on each other whereas in the film that romance is really only the first act and i would argue that the bigger relationship in eric's life is his relationship with maggie there i completely agree with you on that it's a relationship that i've had where where i have a female friend who who wants it to turn into something else and um I've had female friends who I want very similarly to Eric, who, who, who I was trying to trick myself into having a relationship with so that I can like not be gay. You know, like when I realized I was gay, it was not a happy realization. It wasn't like a, Oh, this is just who I am. No, it was a, it was a really terrifying thing and not something that I really wanted to be like many, like many queer people do. And, and, and uh, I'm glad that I'm thrilled and happy that that's changing. And, and I, and I understand that it's not, everybody i think it's like for me and my circumstances and the family that i grew up in it wasn't it wasn't going to be good news when i knew it wasn't going to be good news when i had to reckon with this and so i was trying to make completely sure about it and so i felt a lot of empathy for both of the characters because especially for the fact that i mean he uses her sexually to try to secure his place in his family life and his society and his, his surroundings around him. And there's a part of me that's like, he thinks this is what he wants. So go easy on him. But then there's another part of me that's like, no, he's also using this poor girl who's very good to him and, and kind of like, kind of like a weirdo like he is. And I found myself liking her a lot. And I, my regret for the movie was that there wasn't really a reconciliation. I really wanted there to be a reconciliation between these two. And maybe, I don't know, maybe one day there'll be a sequel kind of like, you know, they were trying to do with Trick. Like maybe some one day they'll write a sequel to this. And not that they necessarily need them to have a Will and Grace relationship, but they had a really special friendship that kind of went away. And I also felt that now on the flip side, I felt that 
and not 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 the sex, the sexual activity aside. I'm referring particularly to a scene where he wants her to come meet his new friends that he's made at the gay bar. Which so for me, like, did they not care that he was 17? Like, that's one thing that I couldn't I couldn't. But there, there's this moment in the scene where he wants Matt to introduce Maggie. And I love the moment when they're getting ready. She's like, I don't know what to wear. He's like, just wear something fun. And she 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 understood the assignment. She comes in this really awesome dress with with tassels on her on the on the on the dress line. And and she walks in and he's dancing with a boy. And she gets really, really upset. And then, but then because of this, she storms out of the bar. And I'm like her, is it because she felt that she wasn't being respected or because she was uncomfortable? Because, you know, what, is the, what does that connotation mean for a straight woman who's had sexual relations with a, with a boy who didn't know he was gay? You know, like what, what, are, those, what are those circumstances? Like what are those, those feelings entitled to? And I just kind of felt like, you know, he was trying to introduce her to this other part of himself after he had come out to her. And she knew exactly what he was going through and still chose to just storm out and leave. It was a wonderful scene, beautifully per- performed. But I, but in terms of like how that arc develops, I just, I wish there was a little more understanding from both of them. I wish they hadn't slept together. I wish that he hadn't been traumatized and kind of like given a desire to go back into the closet. And I'm glad that he had the chosen family. But at the same token, it was kind of like, I want him to have like a chosen family of, of peers his age. Because he goes and he meets these people at the bar and they're like the late 30s, 40s, maybe even late 40s. And they were sweet people and sweet characters, but it was just kind of like, oh, you don't, you know, no, go go meet other like young, exciting artists and, and find that club. But I'm sure like a great gay street alliance never existed at that time at that school. Well, Leah Delaria makes a great fairy godmother, but she's got a life of her own. And I like the way she kind of floats in and out of his orbit, but she can't give him all of her time. And also, too, there's something about like, you know, this grown woman who has a summer job, you know, in in the cafeteria of an amusement park. Like, and that she has that, it's not that this honest work, like no shame against what she's doing for, for a living, but it's the fact that she goes into a space and one suddenly has a sort of like maternal ownership over anyone younger than her. And I find those characters to be really obnoxious. I found her to be just really annoying. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because like I'm older now. I'm probably the age that she was when she <laughs> performed in this. And when I see people who try to pretend to be the mama, I'm like, you're okay, go have actual kids. Like, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I found that find in reality, those characters to be like, yeah, no, and I'm glad he had that fairy godmother. And I'm glad that he had that, that person he can go to. But I just, I don't know. I just really wanted him to have, like he had with that, the blonde, the, the blonde, the other blonde, the, the DJ. <laughs> when he said he was a DJ, I was like, "You get away, <laughs> stay away from that guy." <laughs> no, but he was a he was a DJ for his for his school. You know, he was he's not like spinning disco at clubs. Like, but when he said that, I was like, "Oh gosh!" But he was you know he was of a regular age. He felt genuinely interested, and when he goes up to the university to find them both later. I was just kind of hoping that that would have been something that would have worked out because he has two other sexual encounters in the film and they're both kind of, 
I don't know. They're both very, they take advantage of him. They both get their thrills and they run, which unfortunately, you know, I've been there. It's happened to me. And I don't want to say it's everyone's experience, but it happens. Like when you meet guys at bars, like nine times out of 10, they're, you know, very rarely is it going to lead to a romance. And he doesn't know that. I just kind of wanted someone to kind of like say, here are the things, but here's the thing. But there wasn't like a hinge app. There wasn't a, there wasn't an, a place where you can like safely meet other queer kids like there are today. And, and so really, you know, and he didn't have anyone to kind of teach him or coach him on that. And I think that's something that queer people tend to be missing in, in their lives, that they tend to be missing, you know, when a guy takes, like my mom used to tell my sisters, like give them all this advice when they're going out on dates. No one ever gave me that advice. They gave me the advice about how to treat a girl. And then they made sure that I have money to pay for her dinner when I was dating in high school. But it was also like when, when I came out, it was just like they wanted nothing to do with it. I, I have all these wishes for him and all these resources for him that just don't exist at that time. You know, and every time I go down like what I would want to have as an alternate path. So I guess the long winded answer to your question is that I did find it to be honest because I felt like I wanted to have a more optimistic ending, but I felt that it was the best possible outcome for the majority of gay teens who were brave enough to come out in the 80s. I can't even imagine what the, how hard that must have been because there weren't other people around to, to identify with, you know, have this like healthy relationship with. And more often than not, I'm sure he would find himself in a situation where he'd be taken advantage of rather than finding this, you know, the children. And he does find these group of people. And luckily, you know, Leah Deliria's character is there and does have genuine um, hope and, and interest in his success as a person and wants him to kind of like spread his wings and fly. But I also like don't know if she's the person that he would need. Um, I would love to know what happens to this character later. <laughs> well, that's interesting because Todd Stevens would continue to include autobiographical elements in his subsequent films. And he would even have characters from Edge of Seventeen show up in his Another Gay Movie films, which are jarring shift in tone. Did he do those one. movies? Because I remember, I remember there being... yeah. A, a sort of a satirical spin on the coming out scene from this movie in that movie. Same actress. It's the same act, but I thought that they were just trying to make fun of the movie. Like he's making fun of his own movie. So Edge of 17 isn't a film about resolutions. Eric's in an ambiguous place in the final scene. Uh, what would you say his journey has been? What has he learned? I think he's learned a lesson that that a lot of us learn in life, whether you're gay or straight. I, I believe that, you know, to to have what you want and to be what you want is hard. What he does, and I hope that in future iterations of this character, that he always leads forward with joy and and happiness and laughter and art and and um and that he can continue along with that and a strong, a strong sense of self. I think is what he um, he gains. And I'll be honest, like it took me a long time, a much longer time to, to get to that point. And I know it takes a lot of people a long time, especially during that time when there's zero representation. I mean, I had more representation than he did. And I felt like I had no one. 
There is such a large library now of queer teen stories. Where would you say this one fits? Who would you recommend it to today? People our age or would young people benefit from seeing this? I think all of the above, to be honest, because here's the thing. Queer representation is there if people know where to look. But I also believe that there's someone in the South, that there's someone in anywhere, really, that, and and I'll be honest, like, I can, the cultural, religious community that I grew up in, I'm sure there are people there who are maybe too afraid to look up queer people. And so, like, I feel that this movie, I still think that the emotion, that the emotional context of learning who you are, you know, and as Kate McKinnon said, you know, is realizing you have alien DNA. It's like realizing that, oh, I'm not like everyone else on earth. I think that that feeling is universal. And I think that that emotional journey is palpable. And I'm sure that there are a lot of queer kids in queer communities who have the exposure, but who still don't want to be gay. You know, that's what they go through. That's what, like, that is such a confusing time for everyone. And if you're queer on top of it, it's even more confusing. And I think the movie gets it right. Very nice. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting little time capsule. And Edge of Seventeen's been playing on Netflix. And I think it's such an interesting flip to something like Heartstopper, which is so of the mm. moment and so aspirational. Whereas uh, Eric's journey in Edge of Seventeen is a lot more... Not cynical, but expected. <laughs> well, it's past my bedtime and Likewise. the timer's running down. But okay. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much for You're joining welcome. me for another episode and for my our pleasure. third season. Who knew? Yes. <laughs> thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll see you next time.